welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Last week we talked about David. And we went from a point of David being crippled by fear. As a result of his fear, he made these radical decisions that led him to points of irrationality, that put him in a spot where he was willing to do crazy things that all the rest of the world would have looked and said, wait a minute, David. But we saw the transition of him going from fear back to confidence in his God. And today as we open in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 22, we're going to be taking a step into the life of David now, not sorry, David from, from David to Saul. Now the reason I use the song today is because Saul is a perfect example of a slow fade. I love that phrase. He slowly took steps further and further and further away from where God had intended for him to be to the point that we find him in the passage today. Saul didn't wake up in this passage as we read it, and all of a sudden he got here. He walked here step by step as he rejected God and rejected God and rejected God and rejected God, and God finally rejected him. And I hope that today will be a challenge as we look at what the hardness of our hearts can look like, but I also hope it can be a hope for those of you that have slowly faded away of what you can do to come back to the one that loves you so much. I've entitled today's message, In Sin When It Is Finished. In Sin When It Is Finished. If you want to put your finger in 1 Samuel 22, you can also grab one of the Bibles in front of you, page 312. I'm going to jump back to first, excuse me, to James chapter 1, and I want to read this verse to you. It says this in its entirety. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. See, that's the way that sin is. It, it, it gets that, that desires that are contrary to God begin, and then we water them, and we feed them, and we nurture them, and they come full grown. And that leads to our death spiritually as well, ultimately, as physically. And Saul's seeing his sin come into full bloom in this passage today. So I hope that we will see that as Saul went a long way from hiding in a tent during his coronation ceremony to hear that we didn't just open this passage and boom, we're here. This is a long journey that got us to 1 Samuel 22 and verse 6. I want to read the first 10 verses to you as we begin today. And what I want to focus on is what hardness leads to, the hardness of our heart and what it leads to in our lives. So verse number 6 says this in 1 Samuel chapter number 22. Now Saul heard that David was And the men who were with him, Saul, was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Saul's sitting now. The reason they say Tamarisk tree is probably more than likely that it was a spot geographically 
Some scholars say it was in near Gibeah. We're not exactly sure, but it had some sort of significance to, to denote the spot that Saul was at. And Saul's sitting there with his spear, waiting. And the first thing that I want to point out when it comes to hardness is that hardness leads to insecurity. See, because what really Saul's doing is he Saul's sitting there and he's brooding. He's obsessed not with the ongoing growth and success of the kingdom, but he is obsessed with the destruction of David that was fueled by jealousy in his heart. You know, whenever we find ourselves just sitting around and allowing our mind to be our own worst enemy, beware. When we sit around and allow our mind to become our own worst enemy because we're not involved or engaged in anything, beware, because it will lead you down a path and it's not usually a good path. If you're in that spot, get up. Do some yard work. Read a book. Grab coffee. Go for a walk. Get in the Word. Don't give the devil the opportunity to magnify his lies in your life. As Saul sits here, then we see that he gets up and he starts to rant. And it shows his insecurities. What does he do? He immediately, as we will read in these verses, you're going to see, well, let's read in verse number uh, six, carrying on, and then we'll go back to that. Verse number seven, I'm sorry. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Saul gets up, and you can see that insecurity pop out immediately as he starts to... To, to try to do things to say, nobody's feeling sorry for me. Nobody cares about me. Woe is me, Saul. Wow. That's a dangerous spot to be in when we get insecure like that. Anybody felt insecure like that before? I'm raising my hand, by the way. Okay. And those of you not raising your hand, probably are insecure, too insecure to raise your hands, right? But that's what hardness leads to. When our heart is hardened, we no longer view ourselves as identified as being a child of God. But we wonder what our identity is in. We worry about what everyone thinks about us instead of knowing the confidence of who we are in Christ. Hardness leads to insecurity. We also see in this passage that hard, hardness leads to self-deception. See, he was self-deceived. He's seeing conspiracy under every rock. His son's covenant with David had nothing to do with Saul. It had to do with the friendship, relationship with David and with his son Jonathan. And yet Saul's going, hey, you know what? Nobody said anything when my son made a covenant to this guy against me. Well, that's because there was nothing about you in it, Saul. But he was so self-deceived. It made him lead, as we're going to read in a few verses, an assumption about the priests of Nob, and that was wrong. See, we deceive ourselves, and when we do that, it can oftentimes lead to a paranoia. A paranoia. Where everyone around every corner is out to get me. You ever been so, uh, you know, insecure in that way? You walk into a room and somebody's laughing and they look at you and you immediately think, they're laughing about me. 
Somebody's talking, and you walk in a room, and they stop talking, and your thought is, they're talking about me. Now, I'm not saying that never happens, but it rarely happens. We also see that hardness leads to manipulation. Hardness leads to manipulation. As Saul's hard heart led to manipulation, you see him look specifically at those from his own tribe, and he starts to manipulate them. The tribe of Benjamin was his tribe. They were his people. And he goes to them, he goes, hey, has David, he didn't even use David's name, the son of Jesse? He won't even utter his name. Is he the one? Is he the one that gave you the stuff you have? Did he give you a job in essence? Did he give you position? Did he give you any of those things? He starts to manipulate them. Why? Because he wants control and he wants power in the situation. He wants them to have this blind loyalty and he wants information from them. And I want remind us that we need to be careful when we have friendships or family relationships or even work situations that you are, when you're trying to manipulate an agenda. We all know we're trying by fear or by flattery to get somebody else to do something for us. I tease my daughter sometimes because she'll go, Daddy, you know, like when she wants something. It's kind of a funny thing. When she was little, you know, it was really, but now it's like, Daddy, would you do this? And we all know how to do manipulation. Some of us do it in fear. If you don't do this, I will, dot, dot, dot. Other people are like Delilah. Come on, Saul, excuse me, come on, Samson, don't you love me? If you love me, you tell me where your strength comes from. And you see over and over again in scriptures about different people that tried to manipulate individuals through fear or through flattery. So beware of your own heart and what you're trying to do to perhaps get your own way. And it's interesting how this manipulation led one man that wasn't even one from the tribe of Benjamin. He actually was an individual who was the head shepherd of Saul's herds. He was an Edomite who came actually from the line or the lineage of Esau, Jacob and Esau. That's where the Edomites came from. And he's the one that spoke up and told some of the story. But hardness leads to manipulation. Hardness of our heart also leads to false accusations. Now read, read with me in verse number 11 through verse 13, if you would. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub, and he answered, here I, here I am, my Lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? Again, won't use his name. And that you've given him bread and a sword and, and have inquired of God for him so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day. See, his hardness led to a false accusation, which we're going to read about in just a minute. See, what we find here is that Saul doesn't ask any questions. He just makes accusations. He doesn't ask any questions. Now, he does it in the form of a question, some of those. Why have you? But he's not asking it to look for an answer. He's asking it in a simply accusatory way to say, how dare you do this to me? How dare you? How could you? Not, hey, tell me what happened when David came to see you, which, by the way, we'll find in just a moment would have made a huge difference. But when our heart gets hard enough, we're not looking for information anymore to find truth. 
We're only looking for information to be able to affirm already what we've determined in our heart and in our mind to be right. And we'll plow over anybody or anything that we have to in order to be able to have our agenda signed, sealed, and delivered. And see, that's what the hardness of our heart does, folks. It leads to that point where we make false accusations. I say this often, and I think we need to remember this, but when somebody, you hear about somebody doing something, or you hear about somebody, or maybe somebody did do something to you, the first thing I tell people to ask themselves is, but what is that person characterized by? Now, if somebody does something that's out of character, then maybe you read that sign the wrong way. Maybe you missed something. Maybe you didn't catch all of it. Now, maybe they were doing what you thought, but let's assume, first of all, that they're gonna be in line with their character. And then it never hurts to go and just ask them the questions. Hey, it seems like you're kind of upset with me. You know, is that what the case is? And you give them an opportunity because you're asking questions, not making accusations or assumptions. He makes some pretty strong claims against these priests, which also, by the way, shows how little regard he had for the men of God. I want to be, remind us, too, that we need to be careful. Even the New Testament reminds us when we make an accusation about an elder, what the Bible says in relationship to that is have proof, have a right spirit, and even have a second there. God takes very highly the people he puts because God will rise and fall individuals. We don't have to in those situations. We find also that hardness leads to blindness. Hardness leads to blindness. Do, do with me this. Let's go back to chapter number um, 21, please. Let's go back to 21. Should just be a page or two behind, depending on how your Bible's laid out. <clears throat> Let's look at this story that you may or may not remember, or maybe we're here when Brian preached this section, but let's just go back. This whole accusation that was made by Saul, I'm going to read that again while you're turning there. Let me read those accusations again. Verse 11, I'm um, sorry, verse 12. Saul said, here now, and he answered, here am I. And Saul said, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, and that you've given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he has risen against me to lie in wait at this day. That was the accusation. Let's look at the story of what happened. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king's charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which, you, about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever's here. And the priest answered David, I, I have no common bread on hand, but there is the holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly, women have been kept from us always when I go out on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is in an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. And then verse seven, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. So there's the real story. Did Ahimelech do anything wrong? No. Who was wrong in the story? David. David lied. Bold-faced lied. 
Why are you here alone? Oh, I have to. All the, the other guys are outside of camp, and he creates this whole story so he can get bread and a weapon. And the only weapon that they have happens to be a sword that was put into that town that was from Goliath back when he was conquered. But that's where we know that hardness of heart also leads to blindness. You see here very clearly that the only one deceiving anyone was David. And Ahimelech was innocent of the charges that were being brought against him. And by the way, he defended himself admirably. Look with me in verse number 14. Go back to chapter 22 now with me in verse number 14. Chapter 22 and verse number 14 says this. Or we can just listen to it if we want to. Just kidding. That's happened to me more than one time. <clears throat> That's why I leave my phone downstairs, so I'm sure it'll go off during the service sometime. Then Ahimelech answered the king, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? I love the way Ahimelech goes, hey, Saul, have you forgotten the guy you're making accusations? He's, he's like your son-in-law. He was the captain of your bodyguard. He's well honored and liked by your household. Verse 15, is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? Hey, Saul, I've done this before. No, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much a little. Much a little. And what was the king's response? Verse 16, and the king said, you shall surely die. Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. Which, by the way, I think it interesting that even Ahimelech pointed out, hey, this wasn't the first time that I've inquired to God for David. Almost as if to say, Saul, are you seeking God because God would show you that I haven't lied? Do we see once in this passage that Saul's even acknowledged God's presence, once gone to God, sought a prophet of God or anything like that? No, it was all in his hardened heart and in his distorted thinking that led him to this point. Folks, as I said last Sunday, the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the counsel of godly people work together in our lives. And when you leave one of them out, it's a dangerous spot to be in. And a lot of us say, well, you know what, I'm trying to listen to the Spirit of God, I'm praying about it, I'm making a decision, but are you getting in the Word of God? Are you seeking counsel? Saul did none of that, and he ends up in the situation where he is going to do something that is incredibly tragic, so beware when you act without counsel. Saul was completely blinded to truth now. And blindness will lead us to uncontrolled anger. And the last, or not the last, but the next point is hardness of heart leads to irrationality. Hardness of heart leads to, leads to irrationality. See, this next section, folks, is incredibly, incredibly sad. You see the result of one man's anger. You see the summation of a judgment that was given that we'll go back to in a moment. What does he do in verse number 17? Read with me, please. The Bible says this in chapter 22, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse number 17. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and didn't disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests. See, they, they knew this was a line that they shouldn't cross. They said, no, nope, sorry, king. 
You can do to us what you want, but we're not going to do it. Now, shame on them that they couldn't have done more, but they didn't at least pull the sword. So what does Saul do? As if Saul could get any kind of sign from that and still being in his irrational mindset, what does he do next? Then the king said to Doeg, an Edomite, not from the tribe of Israel, trying to earn points with the king, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 priests who wore the linen ephod slaughtered 85 men. Now, by the way, that's tragic enough. These were men of God, used by God, had a purpose from God, and Saul watched one man. Can you imagine how long it took to kill 85? We're not talking three seconds. We're talking probably 30 to 60 minutes of carnage. But see, that wasn't enough for Saul because when you cross the line of no return, all thoughts besides anger go out of your head. He was blinded. Then it continues on in verse 19. In Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman and child and infant. Ox, donkey, and sheep put to the sword. Every living thing was slaughtered. That's tragic. It's horrific. It should turn our stomach as the death of anyone should. And Doeg was willing to do all the dirty work. Actually, just as a reminder, if you want to later do this, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. It fulfills a prophecy when God told Samuel that due to Eli's son's sins and Eli's unwillingness to deal with them, that his line would not continue, that the priestly line would end. And so what happened, although tragic and horrific, at least the killing of the priests, not the families, was a fulfillment of what God had said would happen back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Our last point today is hardness of heart leaves ripple effects. Go with me to verse 20, please. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. Which, by the way, remember... This man that has killed all those people, he didn't tell what all happened, did he? He didn't tell all that happened. Then he'd surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. See, one man gets away, the son of Ahimelech, Abathar. He escapes and comes to David. And David's reminded of the repercussions of his lying that led to this destruction. Do you think that David thought through it all his sin of lying back then when he was out of his mind fear and he reacted and he went to the priest and he demanded the bread and he worked out this fabricated lie that wove all over the place and he had that opportunity to be able to tell truth and he chose not to and now he sits there with a broken hearted priest, the only one that survived 
And he's reminded that that lie led to all this destruction. You got two people at fault here. David lied, but the difference that you see in David over Saul again is that David, when confronted with sin, repents of his sin. Saul, when confronted of his sin, continued to harden his heart towards God. And we go back to the video at the beginning of the message. There are small incremental steps that put us in a position where we put everything at risk that God has given to us. Our reputation and our family and our purity and our holiness because we want something and we allow our heart to become hardened over a process of time. And we think, how did I ever, ever get here? And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. David lied, Saul rejected, and death was the result. So I want to ask you a couple of questions today. How many of the hardness qualities do you have in your lives? Are you insecure? Has the hardness of your heart led to insecurity? Has it led to self-deception? Has it led to manipulation? Has it led to false accusations? Has it led to blindness? They all have ripple effects, by the way. And the question I ask myself every time I'm confronted with a passage as I studied out is, what am I willing to do to become teachable? If you come here Sunday after Sunday and just leave here and go to lunch and don't remember anything that took place, shame on all of us. The Word of God is presented to help change our hearts, not fill our Sunday morning, not make us feel good until the next time I punch my spiritual time clock. What am I willing to do to become teachable? What's stopping you? I want you to do something with me as we wrap up this message. Would you turn back to James, please? James chapter one again. I also am gonna have it up on the screen as you see. I'd like you to look at your word and maybe even underline this because I think it's a powerful thing to remember. Because hardness is a slow fade away from God, but you might have acknowledged and recognized that you have been hardened in your heart and you need to make things right with God. I wanna remind you that that's a slow process too. It doesn't happen overnight. But I want to remind you that as we just got done reading this hard section and are reminded ourselves that when death is finished, it brings forth death, the verses right after it don't leave you on a note of hopelessness, but on hope. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Those of you that have a relationship with Christ, don't be misled. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from God to us. Our Father desires and loves to give gifts to his children, and one of those gifts is the gift of redemption and the gift of repentance and the gift of being able to have healing in our lives and the gift of second chances and the gift of mercy being new every single day and the gift of grace. He lavishes those on us. Those are all good and perfect gifts that come down to us 
from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. Hey, every day this summer, when you go outside, you can see those stars and those planets and those constellations. The reminder that God of the universe placed those there. And if the God of the universe cares enough to design the, the heavens above us, how much more does he care for the human being he not only made but redeemed? But he redeemed us. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. I love that. Always there. When you run away from God and you decide to turn back, he'll still be there. Arms open wide, welcome you in. I don't care if it's been decades or half of a century or half of an hour. He stands there. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. That's the concept of redemption, of salvation that he gave to us, and we, out of all creation. Angels can never be saved. Animals are for our enjoyment, but they're creatures of God. We, as his creation, became his prized possession. You, as his child, are his prized possession. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ's gift of salvation and redemption, today could be your spiritual birthday that you could become that prized possession of Christ. So if your heart's hard, if you've gotten away from God and you know that these qualities are there, I hope this shakes you awake to let you know that you need to take steps. But the hope that I want to leave you with is you can take those steps. You can ask for forgiveness. There are results from our sins. There are repercussions. There are scars. But there's always forgiveness. There is always forgiveness. I'll say it again. There is always forgiveness in Jesus Christ. My desire as your pastor is not that we ever just be a church, that we come and fill seats. Not even a church that goes and enjoys the fellowship that we will today at the park this afternoon, laughing and telling stories and playing games and meeting people. I want us to be a church that's energized by the pursuing of God's principles in his word to live out the lives that he's called us to live out, folks. Not just on Sunday. Today's the day to get hoorahed, to get fed, to get equipped, to get energized, to go out there and live this word day by day. Because Christ doesn't leave you when you leave these doors. He's with you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Let's deal with our hardness. But let's also remember the hope. And the question I often leave you with is this. When will you act upon what you've heard? Why not act right now? As we wrap up today, I want to give everyone just about 30 seconds to a minute of silence, and I just want to encourage you to process this a little bit, to pray to God and ask him to use this message in your life the way that he would want you to, and then I'll pray as we wrap up our service today. Let's all bow and have some time for prayer. Thank you, Father. I've read through 1 Samuel, Lord, many times. 
and I've missed so much as we now preach through it, Lord. And Lord, there's so much to learn from Saul's life and the tragic decisions he made. But Lord, there's also much to learn from David's life. And Lord, I pray that our church will be a church of David's, that even when they sin, they will confront the, con the person that's uh, pointed it out or your spirit that has, and they would confess it, and they would deal with it and move forward in their walk. Lord, help us not to be like Saul. Lord, we harden our hearts, and we harden our hearts, and we harden our hearts, and we harden our hearts. Help us, Lord, to remember James, the powerful reminders for us, Lord. I pray, Lord, however you've used this word in folks' lives, that they would respond. Lord, again, if there's folks that are here today that have never begun a relationship with you, I don't care how often they've gone to church, Lord, nor do you. You care if they have a relationship with you. So I pray that they would be willing to do that today. If they need help, help them, Lord, to seek out someone that can take the word and show them how they can begin that relationship. Lord, we want above all your word to be powerful and to change our lives that we might become more like you. In your very precious name, amen.